Good morning. It's uh, Burger Labor Day today. Uh, today we have our friend Toptic on. How you doing, Toptic? Doing great. So uh, while Cozy's fixing some of that, uh... I think I'm good now. Yeah, I think yeah, it sounds good. Good morning, Cozy. G morning. G morning. Um, let's start off uh, by giving a little bit of a background. Uh, Toptic, give a, give a little bit of a background to yourself. We've known each other for I don't know many moons. Uh, met in in real life at a Masari conference once, uh, but uh, part of the crew. I yeah. a little bit of background on yourself. Sure. So, I come from TradFi, um, kind of just normal long short equity lifer. Uh, so I'm mostly looking at stocks, uh, but I've always been kind of a hist- like a fan of kind of the history of kind of speculative markets and manias. Um, I uh, like actually had my degree like held up because I had a library book checked out on the South Sea bubble. And so needless to say, like the combination of kind of speculative manias and kind of frontier and efficient markets just led me to crypto kind of naturally. And so I've been trying to kind of fit the kind of the the round peg of uh, TradFi traditional fundamental value analysis into the, the square peg of, uh, of crypto and just having fun. That's, that's pretty much the backstory. Nice. Nice. So I think uh, we'll mix things up a little bit today. I think that if we have time at the end, we'll cover some you know, news, topical items. Um, but we'll just start out just shooting the shit. I know there was a a few things that you kind of want to talk about this uh the burp index is is uh, maybe i'm i'm too boomer nowadays i don't know but the burp yeah. index is something that's uh interesting to me it's the first time i heard it was with you well yeah it's just i, I made it up oh. <laughs> like because it was like you know everyone's like looking for initially there's fang within you know the stock market facebook amazon apple netflix google of like kind of like the, the leading stocks and then um the guy from I think it was framework ventures i can't remember he actually had a pretty good podcast on on bankless um i know that's uh, some people aren't the biggest fans but i think i thought it was pretty good where he came up with like the smell index of kind of uh <laughs> the resurgence of DeFi for this cycle and it was uh, as synthetics maker ethereum lido and link and then kind of given the market environment we've been in year to date where you've seen stablecoin outflows uh and so like less money coming on, on into crypto and just the only real major capital flow has been from exchange to on-chain and so we've had you know the biggest the biggest kind of success stories of tokens launched year to date and people have been calling it like on-chain summer so i kind of made an index of the leading kind of on-chain tokens uh b and so i you know you have to arrange them into stupid words so i i, I did burp the B is for ticker symbol Bitcoin, Harry Potter, Obama, Sonic, and Inu. U is Unibot, R is Rollbit, and P is uh, Pepe. And they're all kind of interesting. All of them basically can't be listed on exchanges for various reasons. Uh, for, for Bitcoin, obviously, with that ticker symbol, that's just too confusing for customers. So Coinbase is never going to list that. Unibot has the trading taxes, so it costs 5% in transaction tax to both buy and sell it. And I, I don't think historically... Exchanges have ever listed those. Um, R, Rollbit, RLB, that's uh, a big competitor of mysterious regulatory background. Uh, and also, you know, a casino. So I don't know if uh, Binance is really interested in 
listing their largest competitor and definitely none of the U.S. exchanges are going to list it. And then P Pepe is kind of the other uh, meme coin in the group. And there was nothing wrong with getting that listed. So it got listed within two weeks and rocketed to like, you know, over a billion dollars in market cap. Um, and so that's kind of like just the names we've been kind of look, I've been looking at in terms of uh, these on-chain uh, leaders. And um, they've all had kind of various little bits of drama recently. Um, I think we were going to yeah. talk about maybe, you know, you had Unibot uh, with some of the compete, you know, and it launched its own kind of meta with all these different Telegram and Discord bot tokens. And now they've got some competitors listing in the next week that's kind of led to a little bit of a drawdown there. And then I guess today we might also mention Rollbit. You saw a stake had something of an exploit or something like that. I saw it was like $15 million. And so 40 mil across oh. other chains, I guess. Wow, that's pretty big news. Like I would imagine. I mean, just a just a rumor that I I read is that across like all the chains combined, it was closer to forty, but I didn't sleuth around, so cannot confirm. Yeah, stake was. I mean, they're gigantic. There was a Financial Times article talking about their financials from just last year, and I want to say. Uh, might be getting this confused with the article about OnlyFans and their revenue, but it's somewhere <laughs> in the range of like five hundred million to a billion dollars in revenue, and they, they obviously had a lot of money because they were sponsoring Drake and some other people. Um, so that's that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Do you really think that? Um, touching on what you were saying about uh, Bitcoin, do you really think that the ticker is going to deter centralized exchanges from listing it and earning fees? when you know this has happened plenty of times in the past like you can just look at like bitcoin cash bitcoin gold uh bitcoin sv like all of those uh cause some type of contention at exchanges um via <clears throat> their tickers them having the name bitcoin and they found ways around all of that i'm trying to think of what exchange did list uh bitcoin it might have been like Mexi or like, you know, one of the... I think it was Poloniex? It was someone, you know, the, it, if it was Poloniex, that would that would surprise me. But I, I felt like it was... It may have been Poloniex, but I felt like it was someone that wasn't on the, you know, top two tiers. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, they, they changed the, the ticker symbol to Harry. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. And like, no one was happy about that. But at the end of the day, like... It's it's still on the exchange to be traded. Um, so why do you think that uh, other exchanges wouldn't follow suit if volume and interest, you know, remained high? Yeah, because that's usually just the hurdle. Is like, will you attract volume that we can generate fees on? That's kind of tends to be what leads these exchanges to list tokens. And I, I didn't think about the uh, all the different Bitcoin forks. You know, the Bitcoin Cash, SV, and black and diamond and all those other ones from the last cycle. And so I guess they could just, they'd have to like, yeah, the, the, the ticker symbol could not be Bitcoin though, just because if I, like Coinbase is like trying to position themselves as kind of like a curated entry to the crypto ecosystem for, you know, regular people that don't know kind of what they're doing. I, I go on CoinGecko, I search like, you know, the word Bitcoin, which is something that someone new to crypto signing up for a Coinbase account might do. And if, you know, something other than BTC shows up, 
you know, that could eventually be, you know, that could be a problem because, you know. That would be a big problem. There, 100% people would buy it thinking that it was like cheap Bitcoin or there was some error and they were somehow getting like a massive deal. <laughs> like, like there would 100% be people doing that. And even if they didn't do it purposely, there'd be people trying to scam Coinbase by exploiting um, the ability to say that you had fallen for something like that. Also, uh, the, the name of the, the token. So it's like, okay, so we won't, we won't do ticker symbol Bitcoin. That would be bad. And so it's like, what, what's your next, uh, what's your next move? It's like, oh, we'll use the intellectual property of Harry Potter or, or Obama or Sonic the head, you know, it's just, there's, yeah, like, yeah. I think because by its nature, and that's what makes the joke so funny. I mean, that's literally the only reason I bought it initially way back in the day. It was just like, I want to have this in my wallet. Cause I just look at that and it's just funny. And like the joke is like, you know, there's like a picture of some backpack from like Asia that's, you know, got a bunch of pirated stuff where it just says Harry Potter and then Obama and then has Sonic, a picture of Sonic the Hedgehog in like weird primary colors. And then the, the number 10 on his uh, belly. And so someone made Harry Potter, Obama, Sonic, and Inu. And the ticker symbol, because it's, you know, the jokes about some sort of counterfeit bag is Bitcoin. And, and what's even funnier is like, it's not even the first Harry Potter, Obama, Sonic, and Inu. No, there's one on BSC. Yeah, like a year ago. Um, but that, it, but that, I think like, I actually looked at like buying that thing as like kind of like a, almost like a token NFT <laughs> just to have the original, but like the, the transaction tax on it's like 10%, which, that, you know, that's why most transaction tax coins die. And then this one, the joke was still new to most people on, on an, and it was on Ethereum and they didn't have any transaction taxes. So it kind of just took off. Um, the whole thing is just like a giant on-chain inside joke that it's just, I don't know how you would get over all the different hurdles to getting something like that listed just because the words in it itself are copyrighted and the ticker symbol is Bitcoin. It's just, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if I can think of a way to overcome all those different hurdles if I'm like, I mean, especially if I'm like a U.S. exchange or something like that. All right. Since, I'm on, since I'm on my devil's advocate arc right now, um, <laughs> going into now Unibot being that the majority of coins that have some type of tax attached to them, uh, you know, don't last or have issues with growth. Um, and normally the token is not necessarily associated to, or, or it doesn't run in parity all the time with, uh, you know, the value that the protocol or the product itself, uh, may bring, um, We'll look at you know outside of maker's little run that they had you can look at like maker historically as like a good example of that right like yeah. one of the most valuable protocols in DeFi, like one of the backbones uh you could kind of say and like people disrespect that chart like left and right um so with tokens with taxes why is it with unibot that you know for most projects people will look at them especially when they're they're dex native uh projects they will look more at them isolated and say like okay but like the coin is still uh structurally this you know uh and we don't need the coin to do this do you think it's because of the the amount of volume and value accrual that token holders are getting or do you think that there's something else like some other secret sauce that is making it special or i mean it's it's 
getting abused right now, but that made it special, I should say. That that made Unibot special in that like it's a transaction tax coin that's like not just immediately dying. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's an interesting kind of feature because normally like the previously the people that tried to do transaction taxes, they're kind of just like they're just kind of joke coins. Like I think they're literally like one like the original one was called like bomb, big bomb, because like it, it would just burn all the tokens and then what happens? Um <laughs> kind of a flywheel that actually has some external like fee source. Um and like I don't know, I, I was thinking of these transaction taxes as like kind of an incentivization to holders where it's like, you know, okay, what if, what do people in Telegram complain about? Oh, everyone's dumping or whatever. And so like you've got this thing that benefits people that buy and don't sell. And there's an external source of fees because people use Unibot and there's actual trading fees on top of that that give you an incentive to also hold the token. And if you dump, we clip 5% of it and some of that goes back to the people that hold the token. Um, and it's kind of interesting, like the way I was thinking about it was like, if you just had a pure coin that just had transaction taxes and all the taxes went back to holders, it's almost like an LP position without like any impermanent loss. Because you're just clipping like like five percent of the majority of the transactions uh, fee associated with trading, and then it just goes back. But no, I mean I think the reason it's it's survived is that it's tied to an actual product with usage that generates fees that go back to like you know token holders. Um, Maker just did a buyback and burn, which I think is why it's able to be listed on like Coinbase and all these other exchanges. Um, the, and it's a way for like you know. Because if you just owned Unibot, let's say, let's imagine they just got a bit, and I think they eventually will, just got rid of the transaction tax. And you could just, you know, hold Unibot and just claim your share of the fees on the little Unibot website. But if you buy Unibot on, and, the, and you know, they still, with that structure, Coinbase isn't going to listen. But let's say you bought on like Binance, you as a Unibot holder of Binance don't really get to benefit from those transaction fees. Yeah. You know. Oh, they have staking now in Binance. They do they'll probably they'll probably offer it. Um, yeah, they have to do some sort of pass through or something. I don't know. They're they're one of the few exchanges that like would uh, would understand that like that's a feature that users will you know still use the product for versus using the centralized exchange for. I think I think it's because they're uh, of the multi-layered kind of tax you could say right because as a holder um in most tax coins you're just getting like the the native protocol token back so it's like uh you're you're eating like uh you're getting in permanent loss but you're also like uh uh you know, getting these um, rewards that are, are outsized. And if it can outpace, then like you're in a good position, but majority of the times you don't. But with this, you're you're getting the the base token that you want in the first place. You're getting ETH, you know, so you're uh, you're psychologically seeing that like you're uh, making this additional money in like your base currency. You know, in a way, uh, Ethereum after, you know, it, uh, in proof of stake is kind of a uh, a transaction tax coin. They're like very small, like because a, a portion of transaction fees do go to people staking uh, now. So in a very, very, very small way, Ethereum is is bought into this a little bit. Yes, yes. Everything's a tax coin. Everyone gets taxed. 
but uh, yeah, I think like for Unibot to be listed, although I think someone said SafeMoon got listed somewhere and that has a transaction tax. I I, I don't know. Um, yeah, SafeMoon was was definitely listed. Remember, that's what um SafeMoon was everywhere. That's what Portnoy bought. We really? <laughs> yeah, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, when he was when he did his little crypto, you know, his one time he ventured into crypto, he bought SafeMoon. I thought. SafeMoon still has a seventy million dollar market cap. That's incredible. <laughs> Jesus There's a bunch during that era, dude. There's like the Safe Moons, the FPGs, the what? How's Comrade doing right now? <laughs> I don't know. That made me think back whenever we were uh, that brief meta of two days where it went from uh, hamster racing to 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 cockfighting. And I was I was reminiscing on the good old like you know the the, the much more innocent days of just uh, come rocket coin. I was really um, I was really beginning to question <laughs> like what we were all doing with our free time. Um, yeah, when... <laughs> and, then, and then we just moved on to trading literal people on uh, on Frentech. Yeah. <laughs> How right, sure? we, we've uh, talked about Frentech quite a bit uh, over the last what eight eight uh, episodes. Yeah, we, what uh, what's your experience been so far? What are you kind of looking forward to there? I am looking forward friend. to the airdrop. No, um, <laughs> it's been you know it's been laggy but steadily improving. Um, there's a hack, and I'll have to find it. Not a hack, but you know, <laughs> the to the extent that I'm a hacker, uh, I use Inspect Element, and you can spoof. Um, a mobile browser so yeah. that you can kind of get it as like a desktop application and then it's way snappier way faster i don't have to worry about the app eating my messages after i type up some long diatribe and hit send and then it just doesn't show back up in my chat but uh it's been interesting it's been cool um i i think i mean you know you just look at some of these bots that just track like who's signing up based on twitter and it's like there isn't anything in crypto that's getting that inflow of kind of new users that I, that I'm aware of. So it, there isn't, it's yeah. Really close. yeah. And, and I, I do think it's like the most obvious, like there's been threads and threads and threads about, you know, how to get your linear airdrop, how to get your layer zero, your whatever chain that no one's using right now, like ZK Stark, I'm sorry. Yeah, cool. uh, yeah, whatever. yeah. But this one's like, actually like it's actually worth grinding. Like I, I, I hate, I used to hate that, that meta where it was like people, you had to like type in discord to level yeah. up and then get on the whitelist. And like, this is kind of like a really mature version of it. Cause it's like, it's rewarding you for like being in all these chat rooms, being active in them. I think yeah. most of it is just holding really high value accounts, but I think this one's absolutely worth grinding for and trying to get as many of those points as possible. And um, the, the reason I think that is just, A, it's got more users than almost anything. It's actually generating fees. It's actually new and unique. And they actually, you know, they got an investment from Paradigm and then immediately changed the shares word to keys. So you have keys to all your, your different friends in these chat rooms. But the one thing they didn't change is the little tab that says airdrop, you know, where you get your weekly points. So I I think you can do, and you, I, I tweeted about this, you can kind of do the math where it's like, okay, what percentage of the FTV do we think go to airdrop? And, you know, historically that's been anywhere from 10 to as high as 40%. And then what do you think the FTV of this thing would be if it were, you know, trading right now? And then, hey, in six months, do you think we'll be in a bull market? And where do you think the FTV would be there? 
and you can come up with a range of like what these things are worth because they're gonna divvy out, I think a hundred million uh, points in total. So I don't know, like let's say this thing, I, I honestly think like in a bull market, FTV would be north of a billion, but um, you know, just call it like. No, they, I think they need a little bit more. Um, the, I mean, I agree with you, like in a bull market, sure. Especially if yeah. like, the, the, I don't they, think right they, now, yeah. no. Right now, yeah. I think it could be like a hundred million dollar FTV pretty easily, yeah, yeah, just yeah, comparing yeah, it to yeah. like almost anything else. It's in beaten that, anything like, in terms of market. daily active users, and there's plenty of projects north of a hundred million that don't have anywhere near the usage. Yeah. So, like, even if it was like a hundred million FTV and only twenty percent went to like airdrop, you divide that by a hundred million, that's twenty cents a point, you know. And and uh, I don't know. I got like six thousand points last week. Like, that's like twelve hundred bucks. <laughs> without like a whole lot of effort and you know obviously people like ansom and l and all them are just going to retire off this but whatever um but it's like a pretty big opportunity in terms of like airdrop that like isn't getting the attention that people like there's an entire meta of airdrop bots right now trying to farm layer zero bot you know airdrops like speculative airdrops that have yeah. probably already been gamed to death and here's one that like is kind of just staring you in the face and it's not getting as much attention. And I hope it doesn't actually for selfish reasons. I hope, I hope the users dwindle, but like by the time you get to month six and like, and if we actually get a token and an airdrop and people are talking about like, you know, these six figure paychecks they got, like you'll see the users pick back right back up and people will be looking for the next friend tech. Um, so I think like, you know, until, on chain you know money comes back to crypto you know you start seeing stable coin inflows i think this is a great place to like you know waste some time and try to grind for for, for points they enabled uh credit card purchases i think what today or yesterday yeah so you don't I even mean, need like, it so like the, the they they completely abstracted away the onboarding flow they're onboarding i i still haven't signed up but the onboarding flow is i think unparalleled in terms of they actually are using like some of the new infrastructure that's available for a seamless user experience, right? And yeah, they, they use credit card transactions. Yeah, so like it, it, it's kind of like, and I, I knew they would eventually. Like I was like that was like the last step basically because they use Privy account abstraction where I yep. they, they split the private key into like three pieces or whatever. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like once you like log in, it creates the wallet for you based on like your Twitter um, API. And then, like, the last step was just, like, you know, getting that initial funding in base ETH. And then they eventually, like, you know, you don't even need to be on base. We'll bridge it for you. And it's like, well, the last step is just you're on your phone. You don't even need to use the App Store, which is also cool. Um, I hadn't used one of these um, progressive web apps before. Um, and I think it's a pretty interesting um, way to get around the App Store. The iOS well, one, especially. It, people don't realize how strict the App Store can really be. Like, the thing is that with app uh submissions to the app store there's not a it's not like a, a process that's standardized that you know you're dealing with like a robot that's checking through uh you know the code and making sure that like it's just not um malware you're getting a human that reviews it and then you know decides whether or not your app meets the requirements or breaks any uh of their rules um, so it, every time that you submit an update to the app store, you have a new human look over it. And at any time, one of those humans could just not like crypto or could, uh, and it happens all the time. Like when I, when I used to work for, uh, like an application that was 
you know, pushing updates to the app store all the time. Uh, their way around it was that anything that wasn't super critical, they just did an over-the-air update. Um, and then anything that was a larger update, they would push that to the App Store <clears throat> because there were a lot of times that they would get a reviewer that would deny the app because of, you know, something to do with, you know, how the wallet functioned that they're interpreting a way that nobody else did. Well, what what I had read was that they were trying for some of these prior NFT apps that wanted to get on the iOS app store was they wanted to take like the 30% cut of transactions, like yeah, and pay on every stuff. transaction you make. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're paying gas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's like, you know, like, I think that was like one of the biggest hurdles to Uniswap getting their wallet on the iOS store was like, yeah. it's like Oh, you're doing trades. Well, like, you know, and that's like historically, like if you try to sign up for Spotify, They've always had these workarounds so that the payment never goes through the actual mobile app where it's like, hey, check your email. Yeah, but for like payment. for like banking apps, if you were to wire money to your friend, it's not like the app store takes it. So I think that was like the reasoning they were able to push like Uniswap yeah. through. Um, but I will say that like we've been looking at PWAs for a bit because DeFi devs and the... Um, the tech hasn't matured in a way, both from the PWA side for an iOS app, they've only allowed notifications to come directly through a Safari, um, a Safari app for, I don't know, less than six months, and then the account abstraction, right? So this is like the first to kind of use this new tech that's literally been around, like the account abstraction components has been around for what, like three months, maybe that like the privy, uh, the privy just did open beta less than like three months ago, I think to, to be able to API like programmatically set up these accounts. So there's a few that do it now. There's like portal, there's privy there's, but yeah, it's the tech, the tech is relatively new and they're the first ones to just, you know, jump on it and do it. But yeah, I, I think there's plenty of runway for friend for front tech. Like they're just going to continue to push updates. They're going to continue yeah. to penetrate different markets. And, and yeah, with credit card onboarding, like that's, you now have an app, and I think this is pretty much the first time where, I guess outside of Topshot, I guess Topshot kind of pulled it off, but I don't think that was an app at any point in time. Um, but like you now have an app where the whole backend, it's a crypto app. It's a DeFi crypto app. They're all smart contracts where you could sign up as a new user, fund it, and start using it. And you might never know it's actually, you know, has anything to do with crypto, which is kind of like, that's totally the kind wanted. of state that a lot of people have been pushing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the people keep on building on top of it with that. Um, do you guys see the MetaKey thing that came out? Me and Cozy actually on our first stream, we talked about this being like, this being one of the things that I brought up as being a, a potential future issue. And like within a week, someone had built it. Um, it like aggregates all the chats. Is that how that? Yeah. It's a discord that each channel, they, they essentially, they buy one share of all these different people and then you pay them. Because I, I knew it was going to happen because I know it, it, this exists in OnlyFans. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a there, there's a token that does the same thing. I'm in that Discord um, just because it's, I you know I'm a I, I prefer Discord and the apps faster and it's like really fast to just like go through and check all the top chat rooms even if I don't own the keys. But I think it actually is like a positive EV to actually own all these high value keys anyway. But I I, I just would prefer like checking a whole bunch of different discord chats and I'm 
one of the keys they own was mine, so, which is kind of a funny um, ethical thing. I didn't really care. Uh, as, as, as long as these things proliferate, people can buy more. And if you really want to actually, you know, chat in the room, you, you need to own the key. Yeah. Um, but I, I used it to check the, the latency of these things because I would just like send something in my room and then see like how long it took to populate on the Discord. Uh, and it was like 20 seconds. I was kind of impressed. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, I, I think that it depends on like we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with the pricing because if it if you're if you're really wanting to pay for access, right? Like as you get to the like the ends of the tails in terms of pricing, that like you'll still get that people will still pay that. Um, but if you're just if you're not looking for the access, I can see a venue in which you know these like Discord room type you know they have a market. Yeah, I, I started getting a little worried when people were comparing Racer and Kobe keys to peak bull market uh, board ape uh, prices. But I mean, the, 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 it's kind of interesting where, like, there's actually more utility from from <laughs> from those keys than like a, a board ape. And uh, uh, yeah, I guess 2021 was just a crazy time, you know. Shout out to Punk I, I forget what the top price was, but for a 10,000 PFP collection of just like you know JPEGs. Uh, I, I mean, I think punks and board apes probably definitely are like the top of that list of what people are and were paying. Like, what did what did apes top out at in the high hundreds? Yeah, was it well, over hundred It no, it was a hundred k in U.S. dollars. I think okay. it was the floor at one point, at the peak. I think it was forty ETH. And whatever that translated to at the time, it was like 100K in USD, I think, was the floor at one point. I, I do think punks survive. The problem is, is if you're like really bullish yeah. on ETH, it just makes it really hard for these things to keep going up in ETH. Um, yeah. yeah. There was just a hundred and like 10 ETH sale on one of the 3D glass um, masks, like lady punks, the other day. Whenever I see those, it always like blows my mind. Um, that people are still spending like that right now on on punks, I guess. I mean, like I I totally think punks still survive, but um, I always try to look at NFT stuff now in a way of like you know just like you would look at a shitcoin. Like, is this gonna outpace ETH? I was just talking to DK about this before we started the stream. Like, <clears throat> a lot of the ones that I have that kind of have provenance. Even though I, you know, I don't need the the ETH from them, I just think to myself, like, why am I, like, why do I care to hold this, right? Like, there's so much more I could do with the ETH, and are they really going to outpace ETH? <laughs> like, probably not for most of them, but if, you know, you sell it as a collection to the right person, then, you know, does it matter whether... You know, it's in either in the NFT right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Things, yeah. things I, I think about. The, well, yeah, it's just <laughs> if you're like bullish, ETH, you know, you've seen this thing go from like 10 to $100 to $1,000. And then like if you think Ethereum goes to like $10,000 someday, it's going to be really hard for a piece of art that's part of a series of over like 1,000 to maintain much above like 10 ETH because like you you, you would yeah. need this to be considered like a timeless like Rothko tier <laughs> art and like I just don't know like that's why I sold my uh, 
my Fidenza. Um, I was, that's like, exactly that. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, you know, having like Fidenzas and ringers, squiggles, stuff like that. Those are the ones where like right now I'm questioning, like, do I even really care to like continue to hold these because, you know, I'm someone who likes to be active with my capital and it's like just all of this excess capital is just kind of sitting there. So <clears throat> yeah. it's like, why I mean, aren't there's I, some, why aren't there's I putting some it to Where like I straight up turned down like, and you know, in retrospect, probably not a great decision, uh, like an 80, like 80 offers <laughs> and stuff like that. But yeah, like I was doing the math on some of this art when, and, and the, the unit bias messes with you where you're like, Oh, Dude, 80, yeah. 80, that's not bad. Trust me. Then, I had like 200 and something ETH offers on some of these Fidenzas. And yeah. like, you know, in, in retrospect, you're like, <laughs> you know, you're not even, you just aren't thinking clearly at those times because everything is so inflated mm-hmm. that, that it throws off, you know, like where it actually started at. You know, you're like, yeah, everything is this much. So it makes sense. Well, your your rationale is that just like the floor of everything is high. So this has to be this high because it's that much better than the other things. Yeah. And like the math, like I did some like comp analysis and because I was like, I'm a fan of such a bad like futurism art, which is from like, I don't know, early 1900s. And I was like looking at some like Sotheby sales for uh, Umberto. Uh, Buccioni, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but some of his like paintings, like the dude's dead, hasn't paid that many things. And it's like, well, how much is that? It's like $110,000. I'm like, well, how much ETH is that right now? I'm like at the time, I was like, <laughs> that was less than 50 ETH. And uh, for like a Fidenza, where it's like, this is one of, I think it's like a thousand or something like that. For an artist that's still alive, still putting out art, it's just really hard for to buy in at that point and expect a lot of capital appreciation like you, you yeah you'd need this to literally be considered like you know a picasso or something like that in the future and it's like well maybe one of these is but surely not every single one of these things trading at those levels is so uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah and that is kind of the question like you know does something like a fidenza because of the i think not only like it's kind of provenance and the like social impact it had on uh Ethereum, like you could say NFTs, but really it was like Ethereum because that was one of the main narratives on Ethereum at the time. So you have something like Fidenza and Tyler Hobbs and like, you know, what happens when he passes away? Do those become hyper valuable because of the impact they had on the Ethereum community and and like NFTs at that time? Squiggles, I think, is another one that could have like an argument like that, even though there's 10,000 like... Uh, You've heard me say it like a ton, like, you know, me and Bury talking about how like squiggles are like the punks of art blocks and like it's yeah. like having squiggles is like your leverage bet on like the art blocks index kind of. Um, it's weird. Squiggles probably have the worst art, but it's the one I've kept the most of, of all the art blocks. They're fucking awesome. They're the best like meme ever. You know, like if you remember when they first like were, were out, we were just like laughing about how um <clears throat> how they they moved you know like we're like i bet nobody knows that they yeah, moved. yeah they, they, and nobody they, did they, like they, really they. nobody knew that they moved um so then we were like i bet you didn't know that you could change the background colors too you know <laughs> and like <laughs> then people were figuring out that like you know they they had like these different layers and elements to them but that was what was funny that like if you showed someone it they're like it's just a squiggly line and you're like yeah i know isn't it cool and like well, it would, the best it would was, make like, people ask- so angry 
Yeah, ask it normally. Well, now, what what do you think people are paying for that right now? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just a mess of people. It's kind of funny to see the guesses. They're no usually nowhere near it. Um, I don't know. Squiggles have like a pretty special place in my heart because I thought I was being clever. And I was like, oh, what if Artblocks does a token? And then what if OpenSea does a token? So I'm just going to like load up 20 wallets and I'm just going to buy like, you know, at the time these squiggles were like 0.1 or 0.15 ETH and ETH was like a thousand dollars back then. And so I just bought, I bought a squiggle in each, <laughs> in each wallet and I never got an Artblocks start, uh, uh, airdrop and I never got an OpenSea airdrop, but it still, uh, it still worked out just fine. I, I think technically we got plenty of Artblock airdrop. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, I don't know what else. Oh, um, I can't even think of the name of it now. Botto, remember Botto? I remember Botto very well. Yeah. Yeah, I was um, like really close with those guys uh, and had worked with them like previous to them kind of venturing more into like DeFi native projects. Um, and Botto's still still doing things. They're like yeah. in a oh, I, season, I still... they've been... I'm yeah. still staking my Botto. I'm still voting on the the different <laughs> the different images. It's it's just fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I I I don't know if it was the last uh, mint or the the week before that, but it was really really cool. It was like they got featured um, on one of the major news outlets in the last like week or so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, shout out to them. They've been they've been kicking for almost two years now, I think. Yeah, and they're still putting up like decent results on their little uh, it's either weekly or biweekly auction. I think the last one was like five or six ETH, which you know that's not nothing in this environment. They were like truly the first kind of art project to uh, tap into the AI AI meta before it became a meta. Yeah, we just yeah. need uh, artificial general intelligence to come about, get nostalgic, and start bidding up the first AI art pieces. <clears throat> <laughs> well that was uh that first one i think i'm trying to think if it went for like 100 eth or maybe even higher like they were the printing first, dude the first one got bit up really really hard and I, probably for something similar to like that thesis like you know owning the very first um you know ai generative art project that could have provenance like on ethereum this is like way before like the mid journeys and stuff came out like yep it's an interesting time. Things moved so fast back then. There were a oh, lot yeah. of DAOs bidding on that piece. Um, and, like, I think the first, like, few, you know, that came out, there were a handful of DAOs that were kind of going back and forth on them. Yeah. And it's crazy to see the... Because I've been following MidJourney and some of these initial, like, uh, general adversarial network um, mm -hmm. art, like algorithms and the progress they've made in just, like, the last, like, two to three years is just insane yeah like it's come, it's moving so fast by the end of this year like you'll be able to create anything dk is a prompt engineer and he's pretty fucking good at it yeah i uh like all the all the premium assets that we use now i like <laughs> jen um really they, yeah. They look good. yeah for the most part I think we have a few that we just hired a, an illustrator for recently, like in the last week. But all the ones on the website right now, Premium Blue, um, I genned all those. And I got I, – I was spending like at least $20 in credits a day. Um, so I was like topping up daily on my mid-journey. But, yeah, I was, I was spending probably six hours a day in uh, doing image gen. 
and uh so oh, that's how i was there's able our to little, there's our little prompt engineer yeah. why don't you come downstairs and tell everyone how you've been using my, my AI cloud to costs, and then... oh not even just image gen but like my cloud cost this month will probably be like four grand including all of my like a, like open ai uh, api credits cohere uh you know four grand is I feel, I feel like I'm putting out the work of like three people. So Look, I, I appreciate you buying credits. Truly, <laughs> yeah, truly as an ready. investor in open AI. <laughs> I, I need to start, like I just haven't like started putting in the reps of like actually incorporating all this stuff into my workflow. Um, I think I'm just kind of bitter on like chat GPT because I have to like edit uh, letters. And um, sometimes I, and I can see it on some of these blogs, like, when something oh, very sure. been written and like not edited <laughs> from yeah, chat GPT vanilla like, vanilla open ai like chat gpt stuff is like i look i i like i because i see it so often now i a it's super easy to tell and i think everyone can, can tell easily but um it's just kind of now i feel like almost cringy when i read like an article that's like strictly open ai generated because i'm like this person didn't go back and like rephrase tone and like do any sort of like custom training and stuff so like now i'm starting to get into like the lang chain the the custom tuning right like renting gpus for a few hours to do like tuning on my own voice and not like my speaking voice but like my my writing voice my writing Long voice writer. my writing tone and like you know because i'm like I don't know. I'm generating so much stuff and it's like, this is the stuff I like, this stuff I don't like, this is how I'm having it go back and edit it. And now I have like this large data set of, of stuff that I like the way that it sounds. And so now I'm going into the, the, you know, yeah. Renting a, a few GPUs for, I don't know, you can get a few GPUs for like 50 bucks for like four hours to, to do some fine tuning on your own uh, LLM model. Like it's coming. It's so fast. I, it, it's going to literally slap people in the face in like one year's time. When people are like, "Oh, it was such a, it was a craze in 2023, and in 2024, like all the jobs are gone, right?" So, how much I am waiting for. I I do think we're gonna get like the mother of all bubbles in terms of like AI. Um, like it'll be like there in a bubble, like at least. And so, I'm I'm just keeping my out eye out for, it, and I'm gonna trust you to just show me anything you ever see in crypto that's actually trying something new with AI because I'd, I'd be very interested. But yeah, like you can tell when something's been written by ChatGPT because it's like yeah. 10 times longer than necessary and just a complete chore to read. How much render do you own, DK? R&DR? Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know. What is that right now? I remember I bought it in, I think at like seven and sold oh. at like 21. I want to say I used to own a lot of render um, Wait, back when they had their, one of the directors they partnered with. Oh my God. You know what I'm talking about? Like two, three years ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, I just like I got really excited. I've been I've been mining render for I don't even know how long, like years. Um <laughs> I got into their like beta um mining I don't know, like group like years ago. And... You should try to sign up for uh, Jensen or whatever, the A16Z guys. Basically, it sounds like they're just doing render, but for specifically machine learning. All right, I'm going to message it's, them. There's no token yet, but like, you know, it's in beta. I, I, I sold my R&DR, I don't know, when it, it mooned hard over a period of time. It was like shortly after they had partnered with a director, and I haven't looked back since. I applied to be a, um, to get allocated. Um, 
because I don't know if it's open now, but back in the day you had to apply to them to allocate resources to your machine. Um, and that's about as far as I got. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a resource provider. You can borrow my GPUs. I was just looking at the price the now. It's like a, back at a dollar. So <clears throat> bear market things. Bear market things. Yeah, I think I think render is one of the. It's such a sleeper too. Like um, I don't see very many people talk about it, but every once in a while I see someone who um, I usually usually have pretty respectable takes that will say something about it. Um, and that's actually what's let me know that it's even like still alive. I haven't. <laughs> it's a niche thing. And if you, if it, you don't really know that it's like a problem unless you're in, you're doing stuff that you, that needs compute for rendering. Well, the thing I wonder about, cause I saw like some table, some render bowls, I don't know, circulating where it was talking about, well, if you actually use the render service, it's like one-tenth the cost of renting oh, really? GPUs on AWS. Mm -hmm. But I see 10 people talk about that. And, I, and then like, I, I see people talk about actually using GPUs for training, but they all just use like AWS or uh, if they're in like a corporation like Azure or something like that. And no one ever, like I, I've never run into someone that actually rented like render GPUs. And you'd think with all these like startups then and like the kind of shortage in, I guess the shortage is in like A100s, not like GPUs, but you would think there'd be somebody arbing that out if it's real. I don't know. So like that either tells me it's not real or it's not liquid. I, I um, think that the... the Could also well, be comfortability. Like you're... You know, they're not, they're definitely not at 100% utilization right now. Like even though there is a shortage in terms of the production of those chips, the ones that are in use aren't at 100% capacity. So like you can get them enough times for like relatively cheap. And there's a bunch of platforms that are like, you know, tapped into that. <clears throat> okay. So like, yeah, cause I was like, I don't know. That just doesn't stay. It's, it seemed like for something that people are looking for, which is like all this like compute capacity. Like there was like this hidden resource where it's like super cheap storage. I don't know, all these decentralized storage uh, uh, providers, super cheap uh, decentralized compute and uh, GPU availability that like somebody would be using it and then just like closing that R, but I guess not. <laughs> yeah, I, AWS is always like more expensive, but I don't know for the for the AI fine tuning. Um, I bet guess if you're a big corporate, you probably need a lot more. But if you're just doing like for a homebrew project you can yeah you'll cost you 60 bucks and three hours of tuning it's just easier i imagine to use aws yeah. i don't know it, it yeah seems you, like... yeah you just go to one of these places that has that i mean it's interesting to see that you're starting to see the acquisition space uh especially for like um some of the like the Vercells, like the, these big hostings, right? So like the Vercells, the what's the, the ocean one, Blue Ocean or Open Ocean or whatever it's called. Digital Ocean. Digital Ocean. Um, you're starting to see them like acquiring companies that just have these chips, right? That like got them already early, just so that they can they can utilize that compute and turn it into a product on the, the massive hosting sites. Um, instead of like, there's no real native 
there's no real native value in the actual company. It's just the fact that, okay, there's a two-year backlog on getting these A100s or the Hs or whatever they're at now. Um, so we're just going to acquire this company because it's we can get to market faster with this product and we'll probably cover the cost by the time that we would back, hit the backlog anyways. I mean, what's, what's funny is uh, CoreWeave, which is like one of the larger, um, I guess, acquirers and sources of these GPUs, they, the A100s and A400s, they used to be like just a, a good giant Ethereum miner. And they were like kind of like the original crypto to AI Pivotor. It actually worked out for them, but <laughs> actually that's kind of funny. Yeah, I, I also think that the proof of, I think maybe one of the reasons maybe Render hasn't done so well is because the move to proof of stake has freed up a lot of general purpose GPUs that you could use for rendering, you know, 3D objects and not using, not for AI purposes, but just like videos, 3D gaming, whatever. You would have thought that that would have that would have uh, at least for like crypto miners, right? That were looking for something new that they mm -hmm. would have then just gone. Okay, I will. If I'm not selling my GPUs, I'll allocate resources so that I'm still, you know, kind of spec mining something. I miss those days. It was fun. Like go download some new fucking software, run, yeah. <laughs> mine some new obscure chain, you know, to a new obscure wallet that, you know, it's not listed anywhere. You're just waiting for some listing. Like, yeah, I, I have like a whole separate, like segregated machine that did that. Cause I was just Same. afraid because I'm just downloading all these random, like dot that or whatever to just, yeah, just run it, whatever. Let's raw dog it. My <laughs> whole like, like uh, uh, laundry room area. It was like one half of it was just. That's how he uh, drew. That's how he dried his clothes. <laughs> no, for real though, like it was, we, we didn't need to turn on the heat in the winter. Like it being there was right by where a lot of the uh, like air ventilation pathways kind of joined. So it would push up that vent and then it would, it would blow onto the first floor and some of it would make it to my second floor. So it, it was like 80 something in my house, you know, in the, the winter time with all this going on. And then in the, in the summertime, um, if you'd go out and look at my electric meter, it was like, it looked like it was like racing, you know, to get around back to one. It was, it was, <laughs> I've never seen something go so fast. All right. We got, we got seven minutes left. Let's uh, spend the last seven minutes talking about um, the future of on-chain trading. So obviously Unibot started the whole meta. Uh, actually, did Unibot start it? Did Maestro start it? I don't know. Maestro was first. It was yeah. just that Unibot had a token, and uh, you know that's the thing that crypto users like more than anything else. So it's a it is a big competitive advantage for them, even while not having the product that was used more. I think like for a lot of Unibots run, people are still using Maestro like a lot more. Do you think that? So we saw a bunch of stuff, especially with like the IRS taxation policies in the U.S. That like if you're providing these kinds of services, then you need to potentially log some of these transactions. Um, do you, I, I, I personally think that this is like the, the terminal trading or um, non-native 
web-based utilization of a platform will be the future where you're having like either a unibot with the plugins for multiple different sites, not just like a DEX. You need it with Parsec, like a unibot Parsec interface where I'm able to, to see like the firehose flow of transactions mm -hmm. that are coming through details of the the holders you know buys and sells how they're weighted over the last you know different time intervals uh with my terminal to be able to fire off you know my limit orders or or uh spot buy sells that i'm doing like that would be i think uh an addition that would bring in a different type of of sticky user base yeah, I, I haven't done a lot of research in this myself, but I think that Flowmatic is trying to do something like that. Uh, kind of integrate all these together. So it has like the charting, native the charting, uh, like Parsec has, but then also um, the trading interface as well. And like, you, you know, you put in a private key, you like download an app natively or locally on your machine. And then you put in a private key, you fund it, and then you can do all of your trading all of your click trading through this like interface. I think that's the future. It makes a sense. It makes sense to me. It's a better experience than, you know, find Swap the contract me. address, paste in a DeFi llama or whatever. Yeah. And then like, you know, choose your slippage, pick, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff that could be abstracted away to that, to provide like kind of a better user experience for people that just want to, just want to ape. <laughs> and like, that I think like, or, yeah, good. Devil's advocate, right? Um, for like that fits and feeds one type of specific user base, but what about like the the real re retail user? Do you think that they adapt to this tool suite because that's what people use, or do you think that they still use native? You know, what if it's just like a, a Coinbase app you download and you fund? But it's what I mean like, is that, like, uh, you know, trading with uh, a command line is a much different experience than going to a website and, and having like uh, a proper web two kind of user journey, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I think that you can bridge the gap. I honestly think you can give a web two experience in in crypto like i well, mean i i've been we, we beating crypto with, forever we saw it, i mean we're seeing it right now with friendtech you yeah. know where it's like there's ways to do account recovery account abstraction without having to even know what a private key is and funding through like traditional fiat on rails that's not then, what i'm talking about though right yeah like, imagine if if for friendtech the way that you used it was slash fund at Da, da 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 or slash buy you know like everything was terminal based like that style of... when, when i say when i say trading terminal i mean like, like trade Bloomberg. buy yeah i know what you're talking about i'm okay. i'm i'm talking like specifically about like how unibot like you're works talking like cli i'm talking about i don't think cli terminal. interfaces have a future um i think a unified experience in which I, again, I've been beating this. The, the yeah, yeah. I know you're forever. talking more like more on like the super app type of thing. Yeah, I, I think, I think I, and I'm with you on that. Like, I totally think that like dashboards are more the way where you know there's exactly an aggregator yeah. of an aggregator. You know, it's it's like 
spot aggregator, your options, like everything's there to where you're just getting the best price. Uh, and you know, you're not needing to, to, to worry about that. Or you're able to see an order book of, you know, everything that's in the aggregator, uh, for each of these, you know, whatever your preferred or chosen like apps that you want to have display. Yeah. I, I think there's like a world where like the Coinbase wallet has some of the like sign up features that like Brindex does now fiat on ramp because they're already in exchange. And then it's kind of like, Hey, you know, we have our listings, we have our regular things that are kind of curated and probably aren't going to go to zero tomorrow. But you know, if you want to try to find the next Pepe before it's listed, you know, you had this experience where if you were on chain, there was an opportunity to buy this token that went from like, you know, a million market cap to a billion, but you missed the first, you know, one to, I don't know, it was like 500, $600 million market cap of that. If you weren't on chain and had to wait for it to be listed on exchange. Yeah. And so I, I think there's a, there's a world where they like kind of like implement some of these account abstraction features to make it a lot more like a, just a trad buy or traditional, you know, graphic user interface trading experience where you're not really worried about contracts and all that other stuff. Um, and most of the stuff will go to zero, but you know, um, they're, you know, in the, the height of the last bull market, you know, there are TikToks talking about how to fund your BSC MetaMask wallet to, to ape safe moon. So yeah, people jump through the hoops and we're, we're making those, the, the, the hurdles a lot lower. Yeah. I talked about that before. There was like a group of older guys that I, uh, talk with that were all aping. I was in a group chat with them and they were all like aping BSC stuff that I, I mean, I've talked to you guys about them in the chat, <laughs> like, um, but they're all aping all these BSC shitters. And I'm like, dude, how do you even know what this is? Like you, you barely know what MetaMask is, but you know, when there's, I, there's I high, to... uh, profit on the table, they will, they will yeah. learn to get from A to D and it doesn't matter what, B and C was. Well, I talked to a friend who does some like consulting for like funds and he has like another friend who's like older dude, not crypto native whatsoever. And if I gave you one guess, you could probably guess what what token he had somehow acquired a large position of. XRP. Um, ah, hex. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was like wondering how to cash in. And I'm like, well, do you have a Coinbase account? He's like, no. I'm like, how did this even happen? <laughs> I also OTC. think that the legalization of gam of sports gambling in the U.S. has kind of expedited a lot of or accelerated a lot of this degenerate behavior too. It's more normalized. Um, even though sports obviously is a much bigger industry, uh, I think that just yeah, this this like I was at a fantasy football draft last night and like they're just like throwing money around at all these different sports bets as they should. I, I don't think that I have a contrarian take that as an adult, I don't think you should be watching sports. I think it's like a total waste of time if you're not betting on it. Like if you're not making money on the game that's happening, then like I think it's a total waste of your time. You know, it's irrational, <laughs> but a lot of the best things in life are. So. Not saying that there's not entertainment to it or that like, you know, you couldn't uh, go and enjoy it with your family. So find some value. But if it's just you like sitting on your couch watching like a sports game and you don't have a and you're not betting on it, then like yeah, it's it's like just another form of mind slavery. I say the same thing about video games nowadays. Well, see, I play with my my son, so like I have a reason. Yeah, to you said it's, it's a family experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you're not playing pro, then it's you know what, what are you wasting your time doing? I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
I love video games. I'm not going to show my stats on on stream. Look, on paper, there's no reason I should be watching 20 to 30 Knicks games a year. I'm I'm aware of this. I have a problem. And I realize it, and I'm not going to fix it. One v one me, bro. One v one me, DK. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I I used to I played sports my whole life, and I used to be the one to like go to every sports game. And then when I became a, I don't know, profit maxi, I just like, I stopped playing games. I stopped uh, watching as much sports and, and doing stuff like that because it was like, there's, there are so many opportunities that you'll miss by just not being aware of like what's taking place. So uh, if I'm not, so that like, if I wasn't, you know, like if a family friend, a family member, or like close friend wasn't coming into town, and we weren't going to where the sports game is now an experience and like has value, then you know, like me deciding I'm gonna waste three hours watching guys fake fall on the ground uh, seems like a waste of time compared to what I could have been doing. Yeah, there's 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 a where a, a place where you can like over optimize your life and I, I think like having like a profit maximization attitude is smart but i think you balance it with uh and you know if you ever play the sims you do that with your your mm. sim you know it's Talk gonna get miserable it's gonna yeah. start just, he's gonna have like a breakdown and start crying on the floor <laughs> so i think there needs to be a balance between and it's a way to look favorite. at like all you know the activities you do between profit maximization and happy maximization you know like watching the knicks watching the knicks play in the playoffs that doesn't make me any money um and even if I'm not doing it, like sitting there watching it with my dad, does it make me happy? Yes. Does does burning five to ten hours playing Zelda make me happy? Yeah, it does. So it, it's got to be one of those two criteria, though. And I think that is a good way to judge like how you're spending kind of kind of your days. Um, yeah, you made a great point, right? Like because like you said, am I doing spending it watching with my dad? And like you know, the time that we have left with our parents and family and stuff like that is like uh, something that we can't measure. So there's value in like doing those things. Um, I'm more talking about like when you're just alone by yourself, like uh, you could be running, you could be, there's so many other things that like provide value to you in some way. All right. On that point, we're at time. I appreciate you coming on Top Deck. Love to have you again. Uh, yeah, that was that, fun. If yeah, it ever uh, winds up with the market holiday again, I'll, I'm happy to, happy to join. I've been enjoying you guys' uh, podcast. And thanks for having me on. It was fun. Anytime, Top Tech. That's a wrap. We'll see everyone back tomorrow. 11 AEST. Later. <laughs>